0: In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge, to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Those are the first three verses of Psalm 71, which is the psalm appointed for today, Thursday, May the 19th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. We'll be looking today at um, the Book of Wisdom, uh, chapter 14, verse 27, to chapter 15, verse 3, is our first lesson, and I've given a couple of explanations on where the Book of Wisdom comes from and all that, so uh, I'm not going to bother doing that again today. He begins with, for the worship of idols not to be named is the beginning and cause and end of every evil. Now, what we get from Jesus is money... The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so we can pair that with this. The worship of idols not to be named as the beginning and cause of every end of evil. Well, we can, we can say that along with Jesus that the love of money is the root of all evil because that's what typically people worship idols for so that they will prosper them. And, and you can bet that if you're worshiping anything, Yahweh included, for the sake of being prospered, you're worshiping an idol. Even if you ascribe that to Yahweh, you're worshiping an idol. You're not worshiping Him, not the one who says, "Lay down your life, take up your cross." You got the wrong God. You have you you have misunderstood Yahweh completely, if that's what you think. And so that it's a problem. It, it's always it traces back to money, and so it, it's it's a huge issue. But It's ridiculous to start with to worship an idol, to worship anything that's made. Anything that Solomon says is under the sun is a silly thing to worship, and because either you made it and it has no power, or you're not understanding the nature of worship. You want to worship something that's greater than you are. So, for their worshipers either rave in exultation or prophesy lies or live unrighteously or readily commit perjury. For because they trust in lifeless idols, they swear wicked oaths and expect to suffer no harm. Well, because their God doesn't have any power to punish them in any shape, form, or fashion, their God is not something to which they're accountable. And that's really the issue. Can an idol be righteous? But God is, and that righteousness has to be satisfied. And and it, it, it's because of sin and the restraint on sin that we need a Savior. And then the Holy Spirit leads us into all righteousness. There's not a single place in Scripture where it says the Holy Spirit leads us into prosperity. The, the Holy Spirit leads us into righteousness. It keeps us in check and defines the things that we consider most important. And what's most important? Well, look at the Lord's Prayer. What am I praying for and asking for? I'm asking for a couple of things, right? I'm asking to be forgiven. I'm asking for my daily bread. And I'm asking mostly for the kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm not making it up. <laughs> but just just penalties will overtake them on two counts. Because they thought wickedly of God in devoting themselves to idols. So just penalties will come for two reasons. Because they thought wickedly of God in devoting themselves to idols. And because in deceit they swore unrighteously through contempt for holiness. So it's easy to see that first you get it wrong about God. And then all manner of wickedness opens up because, well, you're not accountable. For it's not the power of the things by which men swear. But the just penalty for those who sin that always pursues the transgression of the unrighteousness, of the unrighteous. But thou, our God, art kind and true, patient and ruling all things in mercy. For even if we sin, we are thine, knowing thy power. We don't lose our status as the beloved because of sin. You're not losing your salvation because of sin. God doesn't look at you differently because of sin. You've just put distance on the relationship, and that distance causes further problems in our lives. And so we need to be keep short accounts and be quick to return. But we will not sin because we know that we are accounted thine, for to know thee is complete righteousness and to know thy power is, is the root of immortality, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, is what Solomon says, and so that can all be summed up. That, that sums up that last little statement, for to know you is complete righteousness, and to know your power is the root of immortality. You could say that in those things, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but it's only the beginning. <laughs> it's meant to lead us into righteousness. It's meant to lead us into a different way of life. It's meant to lead us to have different values. doesn't mean we shouldn't pursue uh, prosperity it doesn't mean we shouldn't pursue that and and do our best in the work that we do, but we do it for the glory of God. Is the reason we do what we do, all things that we do, and so we've got to always keep that clear. Everything else is added unto us. That's exactly Jesus never says riches, wealth, prosperity, all that stuff. He never said any of that stuff it was bad. In fact, what he said was, if seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So what do we do when those things aren't added unto us? Are we still seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, or do we lose heart and walk away? That, that's the best test that I can think of. So in the gospel today, Jesus remember uh, yesterday that it, the lesson ended with them in the boat and the, the storm comes, and Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves. So now they sail to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee, so they sail across the Sea of Galilee into a pagan land. And, and that pagan land particularly is considered really pagan by the Jews. They, they consider that one of the gates of hell is there in that place. And so they didn't go there, and they didn't have much to do with people who came from the Decapolis and in this region of the land of the Gerasenes. So when Jesus had stepped out on land, I mean, you get the sense here that what Luke's saying is, I mean, it literally, as soon as Jesus steps out of the boat, there met him a man from the city who had demons. Well, in the, in, on the other side, <laughs> these people came to Jesus in order to be healed. That's not what's going on here at all. It says, for a long time, he had worn no clothes, so he's naked, and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. Well, no Jew went among the tombs. They, that The reason that they whitewashed the, um, the tombs or the caves, because it's not like a cemetery so much, is, is that they, they would whitewash the tombs at the time of the pilgrimage festivals in Jerusalem to make sure that, no, that people stayed away. It was a warning. It wasn't to pretty them up. It was so you'd know where the tombs were. There are dead people here. You need to stay away from here. So this guy lives in the tombs, or among the tombs, and he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. And you could say at the end of the day that, that the best way to see this is his time had not yet come, because Jesus is, is not here to do that. He's here to bring the kingdom of God into this place. <clears throat> And he says, "For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, so the response of the demon is, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the most High God? I beg you do not torment me that he did that the demons say this in response to Jesus' command to come out of the man, and then it says, for many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert so you you it's a powerful thing going on, and you wonder at some point, how did this ever happen to start with? You know, Jesus doesn't seem interested in that, and Luke doesn't seem interested in it either. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him. So it's the demon speaking. I mean, it has ultimate, complete control, because what it says is, he asked him, what's your name? And the demon speaks so this man no longer has a name. He's not a human being at some level anymore. He is completely controlled by these demons. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. So what they've said is that that they're already dealing with a situation where they recognize the greater power of Jesus and his ability to command them to do anything. And they are bound to do that. They're recognizing his authority over them that ultimately whatever they've reported to before, now that's shattered when Jesus comes because they're ultimately now accountable to him and they have to do whatever he tells them to do. And so they beg him not to send them out into the abyss, which would be the netherworld, where they, would be, they themselves will be bound in chains until the final judgment. So for whatever reason... They then say there's a herd of pigs over there on the hillside, and they beg them to enter into these. So he gave them permission to do that. So they're only allowed to do whatever Jesus will, will allow them to do. Why he allows them to do that and stay there rather than casting them into the abyss, I have no earthly idea. So the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Now, it's because they had control. So when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled, you bet. And told it in the city and in the country. And then the people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. But they were. They recognized this incredible power of Jesus over these demons. They knew what this man had been. They knew that they had to have a guard set over him. He was bound in chains and shackled. And now they see a man sitting in his right mind, clothed, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. I'll bet they were. The same fear that the disciples had had experienced that night on the boat, when Jesus stilled the wind and the waves. I mean, they could have looked and said, You're afraid because of this? Well, you ain't seen nothing yet. He doesn't just command demons. He, he commands the elements. He commands the wind and the waves, man. It, it's a powerful testimony to these people that Jesus has been able to do what nobody there had been able to do in delivering this man. But they don't see it and want more of that power. No, they've, they've become comfortable with this malevolent power that's been over this place. And so they want Jesus to leave. They're afraid. They don't want what he has offered in this place. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, "Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. You be a witness to these people." And I said this recently when it came up in Matthew's or Mark's gospel. Sorry, when it came up in Mark's gospel, I said it then. You know, the reason Jesus asked—I mean, it, it, it doesn't sound good that Jesus told this guy to stay there—but the reality is, is that they would have denied what had happened. If he had gone with Jesus. 15 minutes later, they would come up with some alternate explanation for for what had happened here. They would have denied the man had ever been there. They would have done whatever it is. They would have come up with an alternate explanation. But as long as he's there, you can't do that. Because he can say that ain't what happened. (laughs) I'm the man. I mean, sort of like in in John 9, what they want to do is deny that the man sitting before them who can see was the man born blind. And, And he said, no, 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 no. I'm that guy. I was the one. I know. I've been blind. I don't just look like him. I'm him. And it's the same thing. Is that this guy's going to be a perpetual reminder to those of this day. And then he, Jesus, went away proclaiming. No, the, the man, sorry. Went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. So he's preaching the gospel. So it's the good news. It, it, they've received it as bad news. But this man now proclaims it. No, 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 no. This is good news. This is good news. Look what he did look at the way my life has changed look at the power in this man that that matches that that is unrivaled in anything that's here <clears throat> Luke remember yesterday's um or not Luke <laughs> Paul in the letter to Romans which 14 chapter 14 verses one to twelve remember yesterday what he had talked about was being submitted to civil authorities and and, and then teaching him something about the way to to conduct themselves. Now he's talking about a different kind of submission. It's not civil authorities now, but he's going to be very careful here. He's going to be very careful about this thing, and he's not going to condemn anybody, but he's also going to say, don't you either. He said, as for the one who's weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. That's a great place to start. You know, if, you, if you're weak in faith, I'm not going to argue with you over opinions. I'm going to argue over with truth. Not what you think, but what's true and what's not true. That's what we're going to talk about. We're not going to spend all our time wasting our time. So one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Those are opinions. There's no command from the Lord on these things. Those are opinion-based issues. And that's the thing we have to understand, that, that that's an opinion. So if you believe you can eat anything, then go ahead. If you believe that I should be a vegetarian only, well, then go ahead. Nobody's condemning you for that. Just do it. But neither do you get to condemn. I heard a great sermon recently, and I'm going to highly commend it. I mean, I can't more highly recommend that you go watch this. And it's R.C. Sproul, S-P-R-O-U-L, and it's a a sermon on the the tyranny of the weaker brother. Because way too often, that's exactly what happens in these situations, is that they want to impose that on you. Well, no, maybe there's a reason God told you not to do this. Maybe there's a reason for that. But God's not speaking to me, and I have the Holy Spirit also. And if God didn't prohibit it, you don't have the authority to prohibit it in the name of God. It's a really good sermon. You'll really appreciate R.C. Sproul, Tyranny of the Weaker Brother. So let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God's welcomed him. So it, in both cases, these are, these are matters of opinion, not matters of, of law, not matters of something Jesus had something to say about who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls, and he'll be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. And you know before the flood people only ate vegetables. After that God gave everything and then or except the unclean animals, but then in Acts 10 Peter still go kill and eat eat anything. The, the word, in order for the word to go forward to the Gentiles, you can't insist on dietary laws. So that part of the law is done away with. So don't try and force people back into this. <clears throat> one person esteems one day is better than another. while another esteems all days alike, and, and so that could be people who, um, who 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 want to go back to the Jewish festival calendars, for instance. And and I know people who do that now. I mean, they've decided that those festivals are more important than celebrating Christmas and Easter. And at some level, I will say, as long as you celebrate Christmas and Easter in in a Christian way, and I don't mean um, Christmas trees and all that stuff. No, I literally mean as long as you celebrate the incarnation and the resurrection. That's what I mean. Then we're good. But um, I I don't care whether you're going to celebrate those festivals or not, but you're not going to impose that on me. Because Paul didn't impose it on the church. That, that's the bottom line. That, that Those things have done away with because they're shadows of things that are to come. But they can't ever receive it that way. They have to condemn those people who celebrate Christmas and Easter and say, you're celebrating pagan things. And, and, I, and my response is, you're celebrating things that were fulfilled in Jesus. You can celebrate them as Christians, and I'm perfectly fine with that. But Paul never anywhere tells anybody they have to do that. Peter doesn't do that. John doesn't do that. So you doing it just makes you a Pharisee, and it just makes you a Judaizer, those people that made Paul's life miserable. And I see it, and I get it, and I understand it. I don't care if you celebrate those festivals. It doesn't make any difference to me at all. There's nothing wrong with those at all. And you can celebrate each of those festivals in a very Christian way, seeing Jesus as a fulfillment of those things. But then people take it way beyond that. You might say, I was on a little rant there. (laughs) One person esteems one uh, each one is to be convinced in his own mind. It is That's the way it is. It's like being a conscientious objector in the military. Christians can serve in the military, or they can be conscientious objectors. But those things come down to what's God saying to you. And those things are opinions, as Paul says at the beginning of this thing. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the other abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? And indeed it happens. It happens over these kinds of issues. And it's utterly ridiculous. For we all stand before the judgment seat of God, or it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, if you see your brother falling into, or sister falling into something that's truly sin, then confront that, deal with that sin out of love for your brother. You don't want them to be separated from God by any degree at all over something that you know is sin, but nowhere in scripture does it say these things are sin. Those are opinions, Paul says. Don't argue with people over opinions.